Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you to be gathered together. We thank you for this dedication of three young children and one in second service. And Lord, we offer them to be reminded, uh, Lord, of that power that you have. Lord, we ask that you would come alongside of them and encourage their faith as they grow. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's always true. It always reminds us. It's always powerful. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would bring fresh, new ideas. That, Lord, if we've read this before, that we would find something that we hadn't heard this week even. Something today that sticks out in our life. Something you desire for us. I thank you that you bring us together. Allow us to worship you. To be in your house. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning's passage is out of uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Lord, we quiet our hearts this morning. We're thankful to be here and Lord, to hear your voice this morning. Lord, we realize that for some it's been a long week, a difficult week. There have been challenges. And Lord, they come worn out, tired, in some cases exhausted. And so Lord, we ask that you would comfort them this morning. And Lord, for those who have had a victorious week, we praise your name for that. We thank you 
that, Lord, you have given them a good week. And, Lord, for those who the week is coming, there will be a challenge in their life. We pray for them as well. For, Lord, we realize that this community in our life is important. That being together, doing life together, the ups and downs of it are important. You've created us as beings who desire community. Remind us of that this morning. Remind us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would please be seated. Having the right neighbor in the right place at the right time can make all the difference. Just ask Steve Hartman. Oh my God. Whenever evil claims a victory, as it did in Manchester, people search for words of hope. And this past week, that search led many back deep into their childhood to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood of all places. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. It was Mr. Fred Rogers who once said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Thousands shared that quote on social media last week, including a senior writer from Entertainment Weekly named Anthony Bresnikan. That quote almost seems too good to be true, right? It does. Whenever you see like these quotes, it'll be Abraham Lincoln saying something. And then you find out he never like, really said yeah, it. Yeah, he never said it. Mr. Rogers said that, and I knew from experience that Mr. Rogers was like that in real life. Which is why, like when Anthony shared the helper quote, he added a personal story from when he was in college that made it all the more poignant. On Twitter, he began, I was struggling, lonely, dealing with a lot of broken pieces and not adjusting well. Then one day, he said he walked into an empty commons with the TV on. And there was Mr. Rogers. I just stood there, mesmerized. He watched the entire episode and felt a little better. To talk about. But says the real fix came a few days later. Yeah, I'm going downstairs to the lobby of the student union and the elevator opens and Mr. Rogers is standing there. And I just got in the elevator and he said, were you one of my television neighbors? <laughs> I was like, yes, I was one of your neighbors. Anthony told him how he just watched the show and how it made him feel better. He sat down and he said, would you like to tell me what was upsetting you? I didn't have anybody that I could talk to like that. I feel like his trolley car. I fell off the tracks. He put me back on. And that was all I needed. And uh, at one point I said, I'm really sorry. I hope I'm not tying you up and you have somewhere else to go. And he said... Sometimes you're in just the right place. I look for the people who are trying to help. Mr. Rogers was in just the right place again last week, reminding us to look for the helpers, the first responders, the global leaders, and caring neighbors across the world who still outnumber evil a million to one.
Just a just a disclaimer that was from 2017. So Mr. Rogers has uh, since passed, but uh, it's a pretty cool story. And uh, if you know much about Mr. Rogers, it's it's not an unlikely story. He uh, he lived everything he talked about and uh, was a pretty cool neighbor. And we're going to talk a little bit about being a neighbor this morning. Do you know what our uh, our mission statement is. Does anybody know? It's extra credit. I'll tell you what. I'll give you, there's, I'll give you some can, a candy. Can, candy. I'll give you some candy. It's in the dish out there by the door. <laughs> Whatever's left, you can have. To be neighbors and to make neighbors and build God's neighbors. Awesome. Kenny got it. Good job. Exactly. Did you hear that? To be neighbors, to make neighbors, and to build God's neighborhood. And we haven't talked about our mission statement a lot uh, this year. Um, I don't know if we've, uh, if I've preached about it at all, but I like to bring it up uh, regularly because it helps us to remember why we're here, right? And it also gives us a framework of what church should look like and what we should look like in the church. Um, I've always said, you know, we, we want, we're on a mission, and if we lose that mission, I'm out of here, right? We have a mission, and God has given us a mission, and he's put us on a path and a plan, and that mission uh, is to be neighbors, to make neighbors, and to build God's neighborhood. And you may remember um, a couple years ago, we started to talk about what it would look like to be a hospital, right? And to have that vision of a hospital where there's healing found, right? There's a couple things that, in a hospital that, that are hard. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes hospitals are messy, um, and, and sometimes it's really difficult and challenging. And yet we're called to be a hospital, to make neighbors, to be a neighbor, to make neighbors, and to build God's neighborhood. So who are your neighbors? Who's your neighbors? Got any neighbors? Yeah. <laughs> Brenda's pointing to her neighbor who sits in the same row. <laughs> That was perfect. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need an answer, but I really want you to begin to think about it, even before we talk, about who your neighbor is. Because some of us don't like our logistical, uh, our geographical neighbors. And there might be something there today. Some of us say, well, I don't get out, so who's my neighbor? It may be your neighbor may live with you. Your neighbor may work with you. Your neighbor may be the person you cross paths with at Walmart or Giant Eagle. I want you to begin to think about who your neighbor is. It's important because if you don't know who your neighbor is, you're not going to help them. You're not going to befriend them. You're not going to spend expend any energy time and you're sure as heck not going to share who God is with them if you don't know who your neighbors are. I want to encourage you. One of the things that we don't do in this world much and don't do it very well is we don't know who our geographical neighbors are. I have known people who have been in houses for 15 or 20 years and have no clue who lives two houses down from them. That's concerning to me. We're going to talk a little bit about our neighbor and who our neighbor is. 
This morning's passage is an interesting passage. Uh, in Matthew, as I was reading during uh, Lent and Easter time, I recognized that the Sermon on the Mount is like Matthew 5 through 7. And at the end of that, it might be the first one in 8, I can't remember. It says that Jesus had laid out this sermon, this monstrous sermon, right? It's two chapters plus. It's this big, long, it's all red. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's loaded. It's all word for word, the sermon, what Jesus said on the mount. And it says, the people were amazed. But it doesn't say that anyone came to Christ that day, which is interesting. And so Matthew goes from the Sermon on the Mount to this in chapter 8 and like 9 and 10, goes to this where he shows who Jesus is by his miracles, by his healings, who he had helped uh, after the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is dealing with a centurion in a, in, is in, a, uh, in the background is Jesus just came from the Sermon on the Mount where all these people heard this great sermon, but no one was moved to change. They were amazed at what he said, but nothing was different when he got off the mount. And I think that's in the background of, this, uh, of today's passage, and I'll show you where I think um, that really shows up here in a minute. So he comes into Capernaum, and the centurion comes to him and asks him for help. He asks him for help. For who? Who's he asking for help for? His servant. His servant. Not for himself. His suffering servant, who was paralyzed. And how does Jesus respond? I love how he responds. Let's go. You want me to heal him? Let's go. Right? That's exactly what he says, right? Shall I come and heal him? Let's stop for a minute and talk about the centurion. Do you know what a, who a centurion was? What was his background? Anybody know what his background would have been? If I change my page here, I might. He was a Roman. Thank you, Lee. He was a Roman. What was Jesus? A Jew. Right? Very different lives. What is a centurion? What does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? He was a guard, right? He, was a, he would have been a boss. Thank you. Right. A centurion is in charge of at least of 100, 100 people. So he has 100 people under him. This guy rules the day. This guy is in charge. And in the passage, we hear him say, when I tell people to go and do something, they do it. When I tell them to come, I, they, they show up. I delegate, they do it. Do you see how he addresses Jesus? How does he address Jesus when he meets him? Lord. Lord. Is that how a centurion would, would uh, address a Jewish carpenter? Good chance that the centurion was of, of royalty and or power. There was, there was probably something in his lineage that put him in that position. The centurion came because 
he recognized there was a need. And he was being a neighbor to his servant. Now, I'm way behind. I'm I'm like 10 slides behind. He was being a neighbor to his servant. He knew that his servant was in trouble and struggling. And his servant was hurting. He was paralyzed, suffering. We don't live in a, they weren't living in a day like today where we took him for an MRI and then we gave him surgery and we gave him some rehab and we put him at St. Mary's for a month and we gave him plenty of good medicine to take care of the needs that was going on. This is a guy who's paralyzed and what's the outcome most likely for this guy? Not good, right? Not good unless Jesus heals him. He's not going to be, if he's paralyzed, he's not going to get up and, and walk on his own. He's not going to go to the doctor and get healed. He's not going to have any of the help that he needs. When I was in Haiti once, uh, I was in Haiti in 2002 on a mission trip, and uh, I was there with a whole bunch of guys who were construction guys, and we were doing concrete uh, making blocks and building blocks and building. We were building stuff. And, of course, that's been like 20 years. And I was there, and one of the things I would do every morning was crack. Some of the guys' backs would be stiff from bending over all day. So the next day I would, would, would get behind them and give them the old good back crack. I don't know if you've ever had that or if you enjoy that. But they jokingly called me the chiropractor, right? Because every morning I would do that for three or four guys that, that they were stiff. They were stiff because they weren't used to doing block work and they were, their backs were tired from the day before. And then we slept on like wooden cots-ish thingsies. And, uh, um, and there were wolf spiders in the room with us. And it was beautiful. And so every morning I would go and I would crack these guys back. And so about the third, fourth day, I'm, I w- they would stand in line, you know. It would be just like, <coughs> crack their back, they'd be good to go. And then this person shows up on the job site. And they said, are you a chiropractor? <laughs> and I wanted to say no, but I slept in a Holiday Inn last night, right? <laughs> but that wasn't true. I said, no, why? And I, th- I was confused. She said, we have a young man who was in a tree, and he fell out of the tree, and he has dislocated his hip. And we're, legit, we're literally in Haiti, in Cape Haitian. There's, there's no chiropractors. There's no doctors. They're, they're few and far between. And this young man is laying on a bed with a leg dislocated and no way to get it back in. And they thought I was a chiropractor and that I could magically go in. No, I did not try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he laid, he laid there in absolute pain over that. He had dislocated that uh, hip. And that's what we have here. Someone who's suffering with, with no real answers, no real way to get fixed. We take for granted the You know, we holler about the doctors and having to go to 17 doctors and all those visits. And yet we think about back then when people, when they had an injury like that, they would be crippled for life. Unless Jesus came along and healed them. And so this Roman centurion, 
who had all the power to delegate and to tell people what to do and to arrest people that were causing problems and just uh, whatever needed to be done, he kept the peace. He came to Jesus and he said, Lord, if it's your will, would you heal my servant? Do you know what it took for that man to bow a knee, to stand before Jesus and take a a position, a lower position than Jesus? It took being a neighbor. It took the extra mile. He could have had any of his men underneath him find Jesus and take him to meet the servant if he wanted to do that. He could have forced Jesus to go to his house. He could have just ignored it and got another servant. He said, no, Lord, come. Lord, heal my servant. Heal that servant I have. The difference was huge in who they were. Like an ant versus an elephant. Jesus, the ant, the centurion, the elephant. Jesus was a carpenter, a blue-collar guy, doing the work. The centurion was a leader, a manager of many people. And yet... The centurion came asking for help for his neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Who is it that you're willing to go the extra mile to make sure they're taken care of? Who is it that you're willing to put that extra phone call in to make sure they're okay or that their needs are met? Who is it that you're willing to make a meal for when they're having a rough time or just be a listening ear? Who is that in your life? I believe if the church as a whole does it right, there won't be any gaps. Does that make sense? Like if everybody takes their piece that God has, their neighbor that God has placed in their life, There won't be any gaps. There won't be people who are left out. There won't be people who should be ministered to who aren't being ministered to. But you know what that means? That means we all have to take and find our neighbor I'm convinced that God is very blatant and plain when he puts those people in our lives. And a lot of times, we're thick-headed. Or we think we might not like that person. Or we don't have time for that. Or we find an excuse to not deal with our neighbor. See, I don't believe the pastor should go and visit all 250 uh, members all the time. doesn't mean I don't want to come visit, but let's just think about that logistically. That's a challenge. And if you look on the back of our bulletin, it says everyone is a minister of the Lord, right? 
We all have a responsibility. And I believe God has put people in our path. And you know what's really cool? It's, they, they almost, it, it always is this very blatant and understanding. And the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're a believer in Christ, he puts that in your path. And he shows you, hey, this person is coming into your life. You have a decision to make. You have a choice to make. Are you going to step out and be a neighbor or are you just going to let it go? So what does it mean to make neighbors? It means we ask The centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant. We can have good intentions all we want, but if we don't make the step of asking, and that means, in my mind, one, praying to God for an opportunity to talk to someone. Two, finding that person and then stepping out and saying, hey, how are you? Are you okay? Can I meet a need is there something I can do? Do you just need a place to talk? Not that hard. We're all ministers of the word. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a minister of the word, you have a responsibility. You have that opportunity and a responsibility. The light bulb should be clicking on right now. I guarantee there's one person in your life. I'm not asking you to find 10 people that you can't uh, deal with. I'm asking you to find one person in your life that God has put in your path. And it may be your spouse who you need to love better or treat nicer. Because some of us do better out than we do in. Who is your neighbor? See, I say that enough and I guarantee that God is already working in your heart with a neighbor. There are neighbors that you're going to run into, cross paths with, people that need to know who Jesus is. I'm not asking you to, to find 100 people. I'm asking you to find one. Because remember, Jesus found 12 that he really hung on to. Right? He had 12 disciples that he trained up, that he... Uh, invested a lot of time and energy in. That was Jesus. And he found 12. Now there were other people in his life, but he found 12 people that he knew he needed to train. And then what did he do? He sent those 12 people out. And then those 12 people went out and shared. And then it, got, it grows exponentially. If Jesus only had 12, it's saying something. I'm not asking you to make an investment for the rest of your life. What I'm asking you to do is step out and find that neighbor that God has put in your path. There's some really cool ministries in this church. I really, one of the things I love about this church is I love the creative under, uh, ideas that come from this church. And I want to share with you one of those this morning. There's a couple people that get together at Bull Dam and or Eaton Reservoir, if you'd rather have the legitimate name, but Bull Dam fit on there way nicer. They get together every Tuesday and Friday morning and they walk around the, 
Uh, Dam, which is about three miles, three and a quarter miles, I think. And you don't have to walk the whole way. You can walk half. You can meet them part the way through and walk back. And they're just out there going for a walk, right? Just going for a walk, getting some exercise. I doubt that's what's really happening. What's really happening is they're building relationships. They're building connections. They're not the only people to go and walk around the uh, the reservoir. There are other people that they run into in the path on that path. There are other people that they see in our neighborhood that God puts in their path. I just love the idea. I just think it's exact. It's awesome that God would put that in someone's heart. That this is good, and I want to encourage you that if that's something you like, or if you like to to spend some time. Uh, walking, I, I think you're even allowed to take your dog if it's nice, I think. It has to be, I think was the note that said. That's making neighbors. I'd love to be everyone's personal friend, but it would be impossible, right? <laughs> it's hard to be every, everywhere at one time. And so each of us have a circle that hopefully, if we got our circles all worked out, we cover our group. I want to encourage you to be involved. Make neighbors. He is, God has created us not to be loners. Not to do life alone. But rather to do it in community. Some of us have been burned, I get it. And if you've been burned by community... It's harder to jump back in. I get it, absolutely. But it's not how we were designed. We were not designed to live life alone. We were not designed to do this all by ourselves. There's a scripture that says we're two or three are gathered together. God is with us. Right? A, a cord of three is not easily broken. There's another scripture that comes to mind. We are designed to be in community. And our community might be small. It might be larger. Some of us are introverts and we're like, I, don't, I can't handle 10 people in my life. That's okay. Can you handle one? Finally, we're designed to build God's neighborhood. And I want to tell you this, this passage, oops, this last piece of this passage is verse 11 and 12. And we had a great conversation on Wednesday night uh, for Bible study when this question was asked. Is, what does this mean? I love the question. Great question. Here's the scripture. Let me read it to you. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and they will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that sounds like a really odd thing for Jesus to say in the middle of what's going on. Centurion's there. Uh, Jesus is amazed by his faith. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, there'll be a lot of people that come, but they'll be cast out. See, they, Jesus is talking about these people who think that they're going to heaven because they're in the right 
lineage, that they're the right royalty, that they have the right last name, that their grandma was a good believer. You name it. All those things that aren't true. See, those people think they're going to come to the feast, but they have no faith. Jason, uh, Jason, Jesus is responding to this centurion's faith by saying, listen, I see your faith and it sticks out. It's amazing to me. As a Roman guard, your faith leads the day. But there'll be lots of people who come. And this is the moment, I think, where Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He's looking back to what just happened. And he says, I just saw all these people who were amazed at my teaching, but it didn't change the way they lived their life. And I can't help but believe it says that Jesus tells the people around him. Those were some of the people who came off the mount with him. He came off the mount. They were following him. He was... That's what happened. They, they would follow him around. And he reminds them that just because you have the right lineage or the right background or genetically you're a Jew would not make you a believer who would go to eternity with Jesus. So there's a very distinct difference. When we build God's neighborhood, that means... We lead people to Christ. We lead people for them to Christ. They had experienced the power. This Roman guard understood who Jesus was. He understood that Jesus could heal his servant by saying the words. He didn't have to go touch him. He didn't have to go to his house. He didn't have to bring the servant there. His words and his words alone were enough. That's faith. See, we can know all about Jesus all we want. We can know who he is. We can know when he was born and when he died. We can know the Easter story in and out. We can understand all the scriptures that we want. But there's a very distinct difference between knowing that and putting Jesus in your heart. And that's what Jesus is showing and talking about in this passage. He says, all these people, they understand who I am. They know I'm the Messiah, but they haven't changed a thing. They haven't done anything different than they were doing before. I just want their heart. I just want their heart, he says. Don't miss the fact that Jesus says, listen, you have to give me your heart. It's not about the words you say. It's about allowing Jesus into your heart to change who you are and beginning to, to allow him to lead the day. Because most of the time, we're not really good at giving up the power or giving up the control or the direction of our life because we think we got it figured out better. Centurion's faith was placed directly on Jesus. And we too. See, because I don't know about you, but I, when I see people's lives changed, 
I get excited. Do you get excited? Right? I don't have to manufacture that. We, we see in this world we live that there's some, these mega churches that want to manufacture um, this feeling of Jesus. This desire that if, if we make it feel good, it'll be okay. I don't know about you, but when I see one believer, one person come to Christ and make a change in their life, that excites me. That's what keeps me going. That's what, that's what uh, I see that as a victory. And then we watch those people grow. And then they lead someone else to Christ. You don't have to fill the pews with people when you do that because it fills it itself. We don't have to manufacture that. God himself is growing the church. We have to be careful that we don't get sucked into that part. It's very simple. Jesus says, call on my name. Understand that the sin I have was enough to send me to hell. Except that Jesus went to the cross for me. In his perfection, he took me and my sin. And in place of that, he gave me perfection. Spotless. And the payoff? I'll live my life for him. I'll be a neighbor because God was a neighbor to me long before, while I was still an enemy. I challenge you this morning to think about who is your neighbor and are you a neighbor to God? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning, for your word, for a reminder that the centurion's heart was in the right place. He so deeply desired a relationship with you and understood what that meant. His desire was to see his servant up and around and not suffering he was making neighbors. Lord, I pray this morning for each of us. For some of us, Lord, maybe we haven't even made the, the commitment. We haven't even made a decision to follow you. And yet, Lord, um, we have that opportunity this morning. We have the opportunity to stand before you this morning and call upon you. And so, Lord, I encourage anyone whose heart is in that spot to come, come to the altar and give their life to you. Lord, I pray for those whose hearts are changed and just need a, a bump, just need to be moved to, to step out in faith and to find their neighbor. I pray that you would encourage their hearts as well. We thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen.